On September 19, 1746, Samuel Buell was installed as the pastor of the Church of East Hampton on Long Island. Jonathan Edwards had the privilege of preaching his installation sermon, during which he said this, The creation of the world seems to have been especially for this end, that the eternal Son of God might obtain a spouse, toward whom he might fully exercise the infinite benevolence of his nature, and to whom he might, as it were, open and pour forth all that immense fountain of condescension, love, and grace that was in his heart. And in that way, God might be glorified. What do you think? Can you believe and imagine that God made this world and you so that you might know something of the love and grace that was in his heart toward you? I think Mr. Edwards is right, must be right. And I think that Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 to 25 proves that part of God's purpose for making this world, making the first man and the first woman and bringing them together in marriage was to prepare us for the love that he would reveal and disclose to us in Jesus Christ. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to 25 together this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, I think the passage can be found on page 2. Last week, we began our journey of studying through the book of Genesis. And you'll recall that we said that Genesis is itself a book of beginnings. It's the beginning, a book about the beginning of the world. A book about the beginning of God's purposes for man. A, beginning, a book about the beginning of God's purposes to bring a Savior to rescue His people from sin and death. And how He would do that through the children of Abraham, through a particular people, the people of Israel. And so that's what the book of Genesis is about. And we continue our investigation of what this book says. Now, we must bear in mind as we look at this book together that Moses, the author of this book, was writing to the people of Israel who were standing on Mount Sinai. They were the first audience who would receive this book. And Moses is introducing them in some ways to their God, the God who made them, the God who made them a nation, and the God who was calling them to walk in His ways. He was teaching them that God is worthy of trust and obedience. From our study of Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 3, last week, we learned that God created everything and everyone for His glory. And this week, we encounter really the remainder of Genesis chapter 2. We learn more about the man and the woman that God made, and we were introduced to in chapter 1, and His purposes for them. If Genesis 1 showed us how the God of heaven related to the earth in its making, then Genesis 2 begins to show us how man on the earth is to relate to God in heaven. Through this chapter, we will see that God makes a man, that He gives him a mission, and He brings him together in marriage with a woman. Those three points are going to form the outline of the rest of the sermon. The man, the mission, and the marriage. Uh, through this chapter, we'll learn that man, he's really actually dependent upon God for his creation. And he's to be dedicated to God's work and word. That he's to delight in the relationships that God ordains for him. And through this chapter, we will see that man was made to live, labor, and love in God's garden sanctuary. If you're looking for a single sentence that summarizes all of chapter 2, that's it. Man was made to live, love, and and labor in God's garden sanctuary. We're going to unpack this in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. Let's begin to think about what this means for us. First of all, it means for us that we are dependent on God for life. That we should be dedicated to God's work and God's word. And delight in the relationships that he ordains for us. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2 verses 4 to 7. Here's the first point. We meet the man. 
Follow along as I read Genesis chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. And there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Well, in these verses, we are reminded of God's creative power, especially his intimate involvement in the making of man. And if nothing else, we see that man is dependent upon God for his life. Notice Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 there. It's set in something of a poetic form, if you're reading from your, your Bible there. It introduces a phrase that we're actually going to become familiar with throughout the rest of the book of Genesis. These are the generations of. That phrase is going to appear some 11 times or so in the book of Genesis. And what it does is it introduces uh, what follows in the narrative. What happened? So, when we read, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth, what Moses is saying, let me tell you the story of what happens to the heavens and the earth. As we're going to see, God made man, man sinned against him, and now we know the world that we live in now. That's what Moses is introducing here. Now, in subsequent sections, we'll get, these are the generations of Adam. Now, these are the generations of, of Noah, Shem, and Terah. And what we'll learn is what happens to Adam's sons, right? What, what happens to Noah and his sons, and, and so on. So here we have this introductory formula. It's kind of structuring the narrative of Genesis as a whole. And just stop and, and think about that for a moment. That this is a, a structured story. It, it teaches us something, right? That God is actually structuring history. He's structuring the world and all that He made. This should be of, of comfort to us that God, as, as we prayed earlier, uh, that He doesn't just make the world and set it and spin it off and step back. No, he, he's actually involved. He's leading and guiding history. He has a plan for this world. And therefore, he has a plan for you. Uh, that should be of, of comfort to you. Here we see God structuring the story and structuring history. Moses is telling us what's going on. And what we're looking at here is not a new creation account or a different creation account from what we saw in the first chapter. Actually, we're looking at the very same creation account. We're looking at it through a kind of a zoomed-in focus, or maybe a slightly different perspective. You see this shift in perspective, really, in verse 4 itself. Notice there the phrase, we're told that God made the heavens and the earth. And then do you see at the end of the verse, the phrase is flipped. We see the earth and the heavens. So what's happening now is Moses is saying, I'm going to bring the events of earth more sharply into focus for you now. The events on earth are, are what we're going to be looking at. Moses is saying to us. So as I said a minute ago, if Genesis 1 shows us how the God of heaven related to this earth and its making, Genesis 2 begins to show us how man on the earth is to relate to the God who is in heaven. And there's actually another clue there in verses 5 and 6 that we're looking at the same creation account from kind of a zoomed in perspective. These verses tell us that there was uh, no bush, no plant, no rain, and no man. Uh, Moses is summarizing what things were like before um, like before on day three and day six of the creation account. Those were the days in which, uh, the, at the, by the end of the creation, the earth was fully formed and fully filled. You'll remember what happened, actually, at the end of day 